Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Kyle. And thank our praise team. And thank all of you for taking part in worship this morning. Thank you so much. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read one verse, and then uh, we'll use our Bibles this morning, turn to uh, several other passages. But this morning, I want to share with you a sermon entitled, Thanking God for My Salvation. Thanking God for my salvation. And we'll look at Ephesians 5, one verse, verse 20, and how we're told to give thanks. If you would, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. God's Word says, giving thanks always. Not just one day of the year, but giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that again. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into this place to worship you on this Lord's day. And Father, I thank you again for each person here. We pray now we'll tune our hearts to your voice, speak to our heart, our mind, through your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for this time of the year that we celebrate with our loved ones, our church family, our immediate family, and just a day of thanksgiving. But remind us to always, as the Scripture commands, to be thankful to God for all things, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with me as I share this morning. I pray you give me the words to share, the right spirit to share them in, to say them in. And Father, that you'll receive honor and glory and praise. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us are aware, I'm sure, that Thanksgiving is right around the corner. It's this coming Thursday. It's our national holiday a national holiday of thanksgiving. Some trace the first thanksgiving to the first English settlement in Jamestown in 1607. Some say it even started back in 1513 by a person by the name of, uh, of Ponce de Leon in Florida. But George Washington became the first president to proclaim a thanksgiving holiday in 1789. He set Tuesday, November the 26th, as a day of thanksgiving for the adoption of the Constitution. However, Franklin Roosevelt and Congress agreed on joint resolution that uh, specified the fourth Thursday in November to be recognized as Thanksgiving Day. Now, the original intent of Thanksgiving Day was not for football, and it wasn't for parades or preparing for Black Friday, but Abraham Lincoln expressed originality and the purpose when he said it this way, it's to be a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. I believe he nailed it on the head. That's what thanksgiving is for, for us to take time to be thankful to our, as he said, beneficent person who gives us our benefits our blessings, and that is the God, our Father, that dwells in heaven. 
Now, I believe all Christians, we can agree that our thanksgiving, our gratitude should not be just contained to one day of the year, but as the Scripture says, it should be every day of the year. I hope when you pray, you thank God every day. Be thankful every day. We should be thankful. We should be grateful to God Almighty every day. According to Ephesians 5, verse 20, we need to be thankful everything, every day for all things to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today, if I had the time for each person to stand and say, God, I'm thankful for, what would you say? God, I'm thankful for, you know, what, what blank? What would you say to fill in that blank? Well, based on personal testimonies in years past, I've heard people fill in that blank by personal things. They'd say, well, I want to thank the Lord for my spouse, and I want to thank the Lord for my children, and I want to thank the Lord for my siblings, and I want to thank the Lord for my health, and I want to thank the Lord for my dog, and I want to thank the Lord for my cat. Animals play a very important part in our lives now. People are thankful, and that's great. That's good. They're thankful for personal things. Then they're thankful for material things. So I'll say, well, I want to thank the Lord for my job. I want to thank the Lord for my house. I want to thank the Lord for my transportation. I want to thank the Lord for my, my finances. I want to thank the Lord for my bank account. I want to thank the Lord uh, for my retirement. A lot of people want to thank the Lord for personal things, material things. But let's come down to the spiritual. Lord, I thank you for my salvation. Lord, I want to thank you for my salvation. So the question comes now, what are we thankful for in regards to our salvation? We usually use a broad uh, definition. Lord, I want to thank you in our prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for my salvation. And we go and thank the Lord for something else. Well, when we thank the Lord for our salvation... What are we thanking the Lord for? Well, I've listed about four, five, six things perhaps in regards to our salvation we need to be thankful for. So if you're taking notes, first thing, jot down, God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you love me. Now, you know the verse perhaps that I'm going to, and it's a familiar verse, John chapter 3, verse 16. Scripture says, for God so loved the world. Now, instead of saying world, just put your name in that blank there where world would be. For God so loved Sammy. For God so loved Terry. For God so loved uh, uh, Craig. For God so loved, put your name there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that if Sammy believes in him or Craig or Terry, if Sammy believes in him, he should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so I thank God this morning that, that God loved me. Now, people have expressed uh, to me over the years, I don't feel like anyone loves me, Brother Sammy. I don't feel like my parents love me, or I don't feel like my children love me, or I don't feel like my spouse loves me. And they feel unloved. But let me say this. The most important one being in the entire universe loves you. 
loves you. The most important one in the entire universe loves you. And he loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with an enduring love. He loves you with a sacrificing love. Now, no one loves you like God loves you. He loves you. So today and every day, just thank God when you pray for his. Thank you for my salvation beginning. I want to thank you for loving me enough to save me. Thank him for his love. You say, well, Brother Sammy, if God loves me, my life wouldn't be in such a mess. Let me say, let me just say this. God didn't put your life in a mess. God has purpose and meaning for your life. You put your life in a mess because of some choices you made. But God didn't put your uh, life in a mess. God gets blamed for a lot that he don't have anything to do with. And you put your own life in a mess through the choices that you made. And, and listen, friend, God has purpose. He has blessings for your life if you would only put your faith and trust in him. He has it all worked out for you. So I thank God for salvation first by thanking God for his love. Then secondly, I thank God for my salvation by thanking God for his love. But secondly, thanking him for his grace. For his grace. Familiar chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Let's look at this. You probably know it by heart. It's one of my favorite verses. For by grace, underline that word, I'm thanking God for his love. Now I'm thanking God for his grace. Thanking God for his grace and my salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so I'm thankful for God for saving me, for loving me, and for his grace. I'm thankful for his grace. I'm so thankful that my salvation's not based on works. And if it was based on works, I would say a large majority of Baptists would be lost today. You better be glad it's not based on works. You better be glad it's not based on coming to church. You better be glad it's not based on giving. You better be glad it's not based on serving and ministering. If it was, a lot of Baptists wouldn't make it. You better thank God every day that it's just because of his grace. God saves you by his grace. By his grace. You see, he saves by his grace. God doesn't love us because we're valuable. But we're valuable because God loves us. Let me say it again. God doesn't love you because you're valuable, but we're valuable because God loves us. That's what makes us valuable. What is grace? Well, someone years ago, I learned this really Years ago, they took grace and they put it in an acrostic. G stands for God. R, spelling out grace. R, riches. A, at. C, Christ. E, expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Now, we would say grace is the unmerited favor of God. You don't do anything to merit God's grace. He just bestows his grace upon the world, the just and the unjust. It rains on the just and the unjust. We have living grace that God gives to us. But grace, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Here's the point. Jesus died in agony on the cross. He shed his blood for me, shed his blood for you, shed his blood for Christ-rejecting sinners. That's grace. Not a promise whatsoever that you would accept him, but he was willing to die on the cross for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world without a guarantee, without a promise that you would trust and follow him. That's grace person years ago by the name of, of John Newton. John Newton really was just a heathen. And his mother taught him at an early age. She was an elder. She was up in years when, when John was born. But John, his mother prayed for him, and his mother taught him and taught him the ways of God. And then she died when he was seven years old. But he never forgot what his mother taught him. And in his biography, these are some words about, said after, John's, after her death, John alternated between boarding school and the high seas. And so he went as, he joined the British Navy. But he deserted the British Navy. They found him, they scourged him, they beat him. He even contemplated suicide several times. And he was on this certain voyage and then on the night, and I'm quoting, on March the 9th, 1748, John, at age 23, was jolted awake by a brutal storm that descended too suddenly for the crew to foresee. And the ship was almost wrecked. The next day, the 10th of March, is a day much remembered, he said by me, I have never suffered it to pass unnoticed since the year of 1748. The Lord came from on high, and he delivered me from out of deep waters. His life changed. Long story short, uh, he later became a, uh, an evangelist, worldwide evangelist, wrote several, several hymns. One of my favorite, we sing from time to time. You've sung it many times. It's amazing grace. Let's stand just a minute. Terry's going to lead us in two verses. And think of the life that John Newton lived and what God did in his life, and how his life changed. We're going to sing it a cappella. Words are on the screen, so you sing with us. Amazing grace, you know the words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved us. And great. 
when you pray, thank God for loving you, but then remember, John Newton, remember that grace that reaches down not only to him, but reached down to you as a believer, reached down to me, changed our life completely. That unmerited favor of God. So thank God for his love. Thank God for his grace. Remember his salvation grace, his living grace, grace to live by, and then grace to die by. We need the salvation grace. You need to accept the salvation grace God's offering you today if you've never trusted Jesus. You'll need the living grace just to go through this world. And then at the end of your life, you'll need that dying grace. You know what? It's there for salvation. It's there for you to live by. And it'll be there when you die. The dying grace that you'll need. Thank God for the grace. Number three, thank God for repentance. Thank God for your repentance. Acts chapter 3. Oftentimes we don't thank God for the opportunity to repent, but Acts 3 verse 19, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And Then he says, So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you're so beat down, if you're so burdened this morning, and your life needs refresh, you know what you need to do? You need to repent. You need to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Confession is seeing sin as God sees it. Repentance is turning from that sin. Confessing is seeing sin. God, I see this as sin. I know it's sin. I see it as you see it. Repentance is agreeing with God. Confessing is agreeing with God about that sin, but repentance is having the opportunity to turn from your sin and turn to God. Think what it would be like to be in sin, know you were in sin, know how God felt about sin, but yet not have an opportunity to repent. And so we have that opportunity. Thank God for repentance. Thank God that I have an opportunity not to habitually live in sin. That's something to be thankful for. Thank the Lord for repentance. Thank the Lord for God's love. Thank Him for His grace. Thank Him for repentance. And jot down number four, I believe it is, thank, be thankful for forgiveness. Forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, if we see them as God sees them, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, we'd go to, we would go to Nicaragua, and uh, those people there on Sunday, their clothes would be so white, so white. And they didn't have washing machines. You know what they do? They'd go down to the creek, and they had some old homemade soap, and they would take a rock, and they'd take that soap, and they'd get their clothes real soapy, and then they'd rub it, they'd scrub it on that rock to get the stain out. That's the word used here for cleanse. It means to be rubbed by the blood of Jesus to where there's no more stain left. Isn't that a beautiful picture? No more stain left in your life. When you ask God to forgive you, to come into your life and save you, there's no more stain left. God forgave you. Now, I know some people's not going to forgive us. They're not going to forgive us of our past sins. But let me just say this. The one who really matters 
has promised to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our sins. That's something to be thankful for. Examine your life the way it was before you met Jesus. You proud of that life? But yet Christ came into your life. His grace was shown to you. You you confessed your sins. You turned from those sins, had that opportunity. And then God forgave you of those sins and cleansed you. And you're as clean, you're as white, Isaiah says, as white as snow. Isn't that something to be thankful for? My goodness. I'm thankful, number five, I'm thankful for eternal life. I'm about finished. Thankful for eternal life. John chapter 10, John 10, verse 27 through 29 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I'm thankful for my eternal life. My sheep hear my voice. They, I know them. They follow me. Verse 28, I give them, that's present tense, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. The Greek says they shall never, 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 never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, in verse 29, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I'm thankful for eternal life. Life without end. Now, you'll have a part A to this. Being thankful for eternal life, that my spiritual health depends on that fact. Yours does too. Being thankful for eternal life, my spiritual health depends upon that. Can you imagine a little child who does not know from one day to the next if he's going to be a part of his family or not? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a child not knowing one day or the next he's going to be a part of that family. Can you imagine that? If he does something wrong, he's no longer part of the family. He repents, he's back in the family. Does something wrong again, he's out of the family. He repents, he's back in the, fa- he's back in the family. He does something wrong, he's out of the family. He repents, he's back in the family. That child would be an emotional wreck. But you know, I know Christians who are emotional wrecks. I really do. They don't have the assurance that they're the children of God. One day they think they are, the next day they think they're not. One day everything's going good and they try to obey all they can obey and then something happens and they sin and they think they've lost their salvation and then they wonder if they die before they can make things right with God, if they'll have it back. They're emotional wrecks. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 28 says this. First John 2, verse 28. See if I can find it. First John 2, 28. And now, little children, speaking of children of God, you're a child of God. Now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him as, at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. John 3, John 3, way back in John chapter 3, verse 3 says this. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, when you ask Christ to come into your life and save you, you're born into the family of God. You become a child of his. It's just as impossible for you to become unborn from Jesus, from God, as it is from your own parents. You may, you may not please your father, your physical father, earthly father. You may uh, disappoint them, but you're still their child. Well, the same way is true with your heavenly father. You may disappoint your heavenly father, but listen, you still belong to him. He doesn't discard you and get rid of you. You don't lose your salvation. So I need the assurance of salvation for my spiritual health. But secondly, I need the assurance of my salvation. It allows me to concentrate on the present. Now, I can, I can be spiritually productive knowing that I'm saved and I'm always saved. Knowing that I'm saved and secure. In 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge was completed in San Francisco. Imagine the task of that. It was, it was dangerous to build. The workmen were terrified to work on that bridge, but they had to. Some fell, some fell and were rescued, and some fell to their death. Twenty-three people died working on that bridge all of a sudden the management thought well we'll put a net under that bridge so they spent a hundred thousand dollars and put a net under the golden gate bridge while it was being built but that that net turned out not to be an expense but it turned out to be a big savings because after they got that net under the bridge the work increased 25 percent it ain't the work increased Productivity increased 25%. It went 25% faster. Fewer lives were lost. 10% fell, but they fell in the net. Now, why could they work with more productivity? It's because of their security. It was because of the net. If you want to have more security in your life serving the Lord, you have to come to a point to where you realize that you have eternal life. And once you realize that, and you're not going to be lost again, and you're not trying to be saved all day, you might be able to serve people some during the day. It increases your spiritual productivity. And that's what eternal life does. That net was there. I'm not trying to keep myself saved. I know that I'm saved. Here's the point. When I'm confident of the future, I can concentrate on the present. I'm thankful for my salvation, for loving me, God, for your grace, God, God, for allowing me to repent, God, for your forgiveness, God, for eternal life, and I'll close with this. I'm thankful that I'm going to heaven when I die. John 14, 1 through 6. You heard it read many times. John 14, 1 through 6. The Bible says, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be shook up. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, 
there you may be also. And where I go, you know, in the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And then over in Luke chapter 16, I shared this with you last week, verse 19. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who clothed in purple and fine linen fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And more of the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died, and he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man, he also died, and he was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. You know, I've been blessed. Some of you have been able to go to different states in the United States. Some people never left Alabama. And I haven't been to that many, but I've been to a few. And I've been blessed to, to go outside the country and, and go to a few foreign countries. been blessed to do that. But when I come to the end of life, there's only two places that really matter. Two destinations. Regardless where you've been around here or where you've been outside of the United States. Only two places that really matter. Two destinations. One's heaven and one's hell. And you can only go to one. And both of them are long term. But it's your choice which one you go to. You know, growing up, I loved to play Monopoly. I played Monopoly till I got married. The rules changed. Judy and Cheryl, her sister, had their own rules, made-up rules. I don't know where they got them. They don't know. They just beat me every time we played. But when I was growing up, I played Monopoly with my, my best friend, my next-door neighbor. And we played late at night. And Man, I'd have, brought, I'd have Boardwalk and Park Place. And I'd have Illinois Avenue. I have the railroads, and I, I have a big stack of money. I had all this property and all this money. Then I put houses on them. Then I put hotels on them. You know how you play. And then Mom would come in, and she'd say, it's time to put it up. She'd say something. It's time to put that back in the box. Well, when life ends... It doesn't matter about your houses or your lands or your hotels or motels or what property you own or how thick your wide is. It all goes in the box. I'm thankful for my personal blessings. I'm thankful for my material blessings. But I thank God for my salvation. I thank Him for His love for his grace and for the ability to repent and for forgiveness and for eternal life and for heaven. I guess um, Clifton Lewis summed it up in a poem. For Christ who came from heaven above for the cross in his redeeming love for his mighty power to seek and save, for his glorious triumph over the grave. 
for the lovely mansions in the sky, for his blessed coming by and by. I humbly give thanks. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for this day and the time that we've had to open your words, to open your word and reflect upon salvation. Help us to understand when we say, God, I'm thank you, I thank you for my salvation, what all that includes. Speak to our hearts today, especially to the one who's never been saved. Help them to understand through your spirit the need to have eternal life when this life is over. Take these words, your words, soften hearts, draw people to you and what's been said today. In Jesus' name, amen.